Well, good morning, church family. My name is Dwight Waldrop. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary Bible Church. I'll be reading uh, from Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Our scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Rather great piece of uh, scripture. And the word says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning, friends. I I, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to actually just read again the scripture reading. And I I want you to kind of... um, Look at it with new eyes. You know, many of us have heard the message of the gospel, have heard things like this in church for a long period of time. If you're like me, you've been in church most of your life, and these passages, these verses, kind of, over time, grow old and stale. But it's not. (laughs) It's, it's, It's epic, okay, for lack of a better word. Listen, verse 13. For he rescued us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So today we are, we'll be in Colossians chapter one and we are in our third week of our series going through the book of Colossians and today we just pretty much spend our time just in verses 13 through 14. So we're going to kind of take a deep dive into the father's rescue plan. Who did the Father rescue? Where did he rescue us from? How did he do it? But this may be a strange exercise, uh, but just go with me on what I'm about to share with you. I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine being in prison. Okay, all right. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay, imagine being in prison. Imagine for just a moment you are in a cell. The bars slam shut, the lights go out. All you hear are the guards clanking shoes on the concrete floor and the shrieks of your neighbors in cells beside. You sit there in the darkness and you have no hope of escape. What are some of the thoughts that come to your mind? What are some of the thoughts, if you were there, what would you think? A number of years ago, uh, my family and I visited Alcatraz Prison. Uh, it is, if you don't know where Alcatraz Prison is, Alcatraz Prison is a small island prison in the middle of San Francisco Bay that housed America's most dangerous criminals, holding men such as Al Capone and Machine Gun Kelly. An eyewitness described his life there. This is from an inmate describing his life at Alcatraz Prison in this maximum security jail. The first glimpse of Alcatraz prison fills a convict with grim forebodings. That bare rock rising out of the San Francisco Bay has little vegetation. It is subject to fogs and damp winds. 
The men in solitary confinement cells groaned and shrieked. Officials who asked them to return to work were howled down. The place was a perfect bedlam, since the howling, shrinking, and cursing never abated from night until morning. What, for instance, has a man got to look forward to who has three or more life sentences hanging over him? Most of them felt as I did. Had I known 11 years ago what I know now, I'd insisted on the death sentence. That is you without Christ. That is you without Christ. That picture, that testimony portrays our reality without Christ. That we are imprisoned to the domain of darkness, hopeless to escape its shackles. We are left to the depravity and darkness of our mind without a glimmer of hope. We have the enemy's minions guard the cells of our mind and our soul. We are in spiritual isolation, unable to escape, unable to find freedom, unable to escape the clutches of cement block and the cold floors of spiritual depravity. Without Christ, we are imprisoned to sin, living under the domain of darkness, under the rule of the prince of the power of the air. For he rescued us. That our reality without Christ, without God the Father, without his rescue plan, without redeeming our souls, purchasing our souls in full with his blood, without the plan of God, we are absolutely hopeless to escape sin's shackles and cells. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 describes the Father's rescue plan, how he rescued us from the domain of darkness. But what did the Father do? But really, better yet than what the Father did for us, better yet, this is what I want to answer. What is our response? How do we respond to the truth that the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness? How do we apply it to our life? With this in mind, go back to Colossians chapter 1. Today, like I've said, we're only going to unpack verses 13 and 14. And to be quite frank, you know, 13 through 22 is really why I wanted to preach this book. But really, 13 and 14 was the highlight, was the main star of why I really wanted to share this book with you. But before we go in, what I don't want you to do is this. Many of us have heard these truths before, so just don't do, just don't yawn. Just look at the text with me. I want you to receive it. So if you have your text in front of you, let us kind of just briefly introduce the book, and then we will just get right into it. The book of Colossians, the four chapters, breaks down into three main parts. You have the introduction of the book of Colossians in chapter 1, 1 through 2. Then you have the doctrine that is shared in chapter 1, 3 through chapter 2, verse 5. And then you have the application of that truth in, verses, in chapter 2, verse 6 to the end of chapter 4. And then a couple of weeks ago, we just unpacked the biblical background of this book. We looked at the author, the audience, the occasion, the purpose for writing. And then last week, we unpacked Paul's prayer. So in verses 3 through 12, we see Paul's prayer. And it really consists of two parts, if you remember that. You have the prayer of thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8. And then you have the prayer of petition in verses 9 through 12. And Paul is, uh, in his prayer of thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8, he's just overjoyed. By this church in Colossae, that this pastor Epaphras, this, this pastor who planted this church in this small town of Colossae, that this pastor would speak so highly of his church that Epaphras would walk hundreds of miles 
from modern-day Turkey all the way to Rome, and he would share positive things about his church. And what did Epaphras share about his church in Colossae? That they walk by faith. Number two, that they hope in the gospel, that they love one another in the spirit. But what's interesting is, is there is a reason why Epaphras would walk from here to Dallas, Texas. Because there's a problem brewing in the church of Colossae. What's the issue that we see? So we see Paul's prayer of thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8. And then we see his prayer of petition. And what does he pray for them? That you may be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is really going on in the church of Colossae? That there is this false belief that is bubbling to the surface. I've shared many times the false belief of Gnosticism. Now, I'll talk about why here in just a second. Gnosticism was, a, was really the original church heresy. Gnosticism means having knowledge. It believed in secret knowledge of a hidden deity, that that is required for salvation. But there's a lot of scholars that would disagree with me that the heresy in Colossians or in Colossae is Gnosticism. And I believe the reason is, is because Gnosticism is just now beginning to bubble up to the surface. But Paul's petition, his prayer for them, is they may be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then what does Paul do? You know, right as he prays that you may be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, he then inserts doctrine. The word doctrine comes from the Latin word doctrina, which means teaching or beliefs. So Paul immediately inserts in verse 13 the correct view of the Father, the correct view of salvation, the correct view of justification and imputation. He inserts true beliefs. And if you have your text, look at it with me. We're just going to unpack 27 words in the original language, and we're going to spend the next 30 minutes on those 27 words. So that's where we're going to go this morning. But notice with me in verse 13 of chapter 1. This is what it says. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What I want you to do is I just want you to look at that verse with me. But specifically here. Okay, I just want you to look if I just want you to look at these four verbs, four words. What questions come to mind? For he rescued us. The key to good exegesis is what? It's asking good questions. So what questions do I have? Okay, what is the four showing me here? Oh, who is the he? Who is he referring to? It's all caps, so we know it's some kind of deity. Which person of the Godhead is it? For he rescued us. Rescued us from, from what? And then who is the us here? Real quick, if you notice the word for here, so when you do a study in the original language, the word for in the original language, is the Greek conjunction gar. And when I was sitting in staff meeting this week, and I told the staff, and my fellow nerd in uh, seminary is Noah Fowler, and I said to him, say, in the original language, there is no for, there is no gar. Super nerd. Okay, I'm about to get TMI. It's actually the relative pronoun. So actually, verse 13 in Byron's translation says this, who rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So when you substitute out who for for, it no longer is an explanatory clause, it's a subordinate clause, linking it back to verse 12. So when you see the for, it forces us to go back to verse 12. And we'll go back there in just a moment. But then who is the he? Um, 
Man, I had the hardest time understanding who the he was in verse 13. I was absolutely convinced that it was the son. For the son rescued us from the domain of darkness. But then there I encountered a huge problem. Because I said, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So wait a second. Initially I thought maybe Paul was being like schizophrenic or something. Because Jesus is here and Jesus is there. And I was super confused. But he's not talking about he is not the son. He is the father. For the father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What does that make the father? I think in part of my confusion with he there is that we think of salvation in the gospel solely part of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, and that's part of it. But the Father had a role too. That the Father is what? He is the director of redemption, and the Son is the agent of redemption. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the he in verse 13, in my opinion, is the father. And we'll talk about verse 12 here in just a moment. But let's just answer the question, who is the father? Who is God the father? The spirit of God is the most misunderstood person. The son is the most revered and the father is the most forgotten. Who is the Father? The Father is the Father of all created beings. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 3.17. He is the Father of all who believe in Christ. What is the work of the Father? The Father is the author of the decree or plan of God, Psalm 2, 7 through 9. The Father is the author of election. We are chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. The Father sent the Son into the world. The Father is the disciplinarian of His children. And here, the Father is the director of redemption. But what did the Father do? If you have your text in front of you, I want you to look at verses 12 and 13 in your own Bible because I couldn't put 12 and 13 all in one slide. So I'm going to get you to look at it in your text. What I want you to do is I want you to look at verse 12. Go back. What did the Father do for us? Not only he rescued us, but he actually did two more things. What I want you to do is I want you to look at verse 12. And I want you to see which words are in past tense. I'm going to highlight three words that the Father did. Giving thanks to the Father, watch that, who has qualified. That's an aorist tense. Past tense, verse 13. For the Father rescued us, again, aorist tense, past tense, from the domain of darkness and then transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So what did the Father do? He qualified, he rescued, and he transferred. Notice verse 12 in your text. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. What did the Father do for us? He did three things. Number one, he qualified us. He qualified us to inheritance. The word qualified comes from the Greek word ikonao. Uh I'm not going to try to say that three times fast. Ikonao. The word qualified in verse 12 means to make fit, to put us, to force us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He qualified us. But hey, what's our inheritance? 
What is he, what is he talking about in verse 12? The Father qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The saints in light, who's he talking about? The, the holy ones, the set-apart ones, Christians, to share. As we as believers, we share in inheritance. What is our inheritance? Three things. Number one, our inheritance is obviously eternal life. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll talk about what the word redemption means here in just a moment. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, one of our pieces of our inheritance is, number one, eternal life. All the room says, duh, okay? Number two, we inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. Number three, we inherit the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Hang on. Pause. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let me just get this straight. That the Father, the sovereign God of the universe, the Father that sent his Son down to earth in the form of a babe and to be born in a little town called Bethlehem, to fulfill Micah 5, to born of a virgin, to fulfill Isaiah 7:14. The Father who created the heavens and the earth, the Father who created light. He not only did all that, but he qualified us. That if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, that not only do I inherit eternal life, but I have other blessings as well. What manner of love is this? You know, it's, it, I find it amazing that the eternal God of the universe would come down and he would make me fit in the inheritance of the saints in light. He didn't just forget about us. He didn't just spin us on a, a ball in the middle of a universe, but he, he, he made us part of something. Let me just ask you the question, what, what emotion comes to your mind? I should say to your heart, okay. What emotion comes to your heart? When you think about the sovereign God of the universe, Solace, these little ants on a ball in the middle of the universe, and he decided to qualify us because of his love. The emotion that comes to my mind begins with a T. Verse 12, joyously giving thanks to the Father, the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So the Father not only qualified us to inheritance, but he rescued us from darkness. He, number two, he rescued us. When you do a word study on the word rescue, it is used 18 times in the New Testament, and it means to be delivered. But the reason I shared the imagery in the beginning of being in prison is that's the idea of the original language. The word rescue means that we are set free from bondage or slavery or imprisonment that we are hopeless to escape from. That the Father saw our hopeless plight, and he rescued us he set us free from the chains of sin and death he rescued us from the domain of darkness the father what else did he rescue us from he rescued us from the wrath of god against the coming wickedness number two he rescued us from evil people in the peril of persecution i have the scripture references for all this the father rescued us from spiritual death but specifically here in verse 13 the father rescued us from the domain of darkness. The word domain is the Greek word exousia, which means authority or power. One commentator had this, the domain of darkness is the deep, cosmic, demonic, personal realities 
capturing structures and society and people in this world to thwart the good plan of God. The Father rescued us from the power of the enemy. He pulled us out of the cells of the darkness of sin. He set us free. But do you really believe that? If the Father has set us free from the domain of darkness, do you truly believe that? That no longer does sin have its power over me. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. But so often we forget that we are rescued from the domain of darkness, that we are set free. That we just want to run back to the world, run back to the flesh. But we are set free. It no longer has power over us. You know, one of, one of the greatest hurdles to coming to Christ is understanding that you actually need Christ. Understanding your need for Christ is the first step to truly believing in him. Because for the most part, people really don't feel like they need to be rescued. They don't feel imprisoned. They can't see the chains of sin and death. They can't see their imprisonment to the domain of darkness. So people really don't understand that they need Jesus, that they need to be rescued. You know, even the best spiritual salesman in the world. I'm not the best spiritual salesman. It's cool. Uh, it's, it's cool. All right? That's not my gifting in life. But even the best spiritual salesman in the world can't open your eyes to make you see that you need Jesus. But that's the first necessary step in order for you to surrender to him as Lord of your life. You need him. If you're unconvinced that you need to be rescued, then just look around you. Does our society need to be rescued? (laughs) Okay. The world is dark. Man, think about just the last hundred years alone proves the darkness and the domain of darkness and the power it has over the world. The last hundred years was the most progressive century in the history of the world. It progressed in technology. It progressed in medicine. It actually progressed so much that I heard somebody say on the Internet, which you can always believe everything on the Internet, but this is true. um, But that we today, all of us in this room, live better than the richest man did in 1923. That medicine and technology has progressed to the point that we all live better. But I find incredible for the people that don't think that there is domains of darkness, that there is the power of the prince of the power of the air influencing our world. If people don't believe that we as a society need rescuing, all they have to do is think about the last hundred years. The greatest travesty the world has ever known was condemned upon the world called the Holocaust. So here we are in our progress, in the, in the advancement of technology, in the advancement of medicine and weaponry, and the greatest evil the world has ever known was bestowed upon us. The world needs rescuing because it's under the domain of darkness. But do you need rescuing? Do we need rescuing? That's really the question. 
A lot of people feel like they don't really need rescuing. Um, but if we're all honest, if we really just look at ourselves, we would echo the, <laughs> the Paul's verse in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? To be honest, I find it comical that people in the world called, call Christians hypocrites, okay? As if they aren't too, Okay? That we all, as parents of young children, what do we do? We do things from time to time that we would tell our children not to do. Am I the only one in the room that we all lose our temper? We all make mistakes. We all sin. We, we truly live in the domain of darkness, that we are broken, needing rescue from our sin. But then notice in verse 13, if you have your text in front of you, who is he talking to? He's not talking to people in the world. Who's he speaking to? He qualified us, verse 12, for the Father rescued us. Us. Who is the audience? Who is he talking to? He's talking to believers in Jesus Christ. What does he say in verse 2? To the saints and faithful brother in Christ who are at Colossae. But not just, uh, just random Christians. These are Christians that are the real deal. They walk by faith. They love in the Spirit. They hope in the Gospel. They have it all together. And he is reminding these people in Colossae that the Father rescued us. We, here today. Us. From the domain of darkness. Has that gotten old? If you've been in church, as I've said, for any length of time, it just be kind of comes old news, but it's not old news. It's called the good news. But what emotion should this give us, that he rescued us from the domain of darkness? What emotion comes to mind? The emotion that comes to my heart begins with a T. Notice again in verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and then transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the three verbs that are all aorist tense, all past tense, he qualified, he rescued, and he transferred. Wait a second. That's done in the past. I'm already rescued. I'm already transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. We talked about this word transferred extensively in my hermeneutics class last quarter, but this word transferred gives the idea of picking up and moving and placing it somewhere else. Like me picking up Olivia when she's destroying something. Okay. And just... So we are no longer enslaved to the domain of darkness, but now we are transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Wait a second. What does that mean? That means that I, as a Christian, now have a new master. And that master is good, and he is perfect, and he is sovereign, that he is all-powerful, that he loves me, that the Father rescued us, picked us up, and we are no longer under the kingdom of evil, but we are in the kingdom of the Son in whom he loves. And what does that mean for me? It means that what? That I am his servant. I am his slave. I am his doulos. I am not my own. Hebrews 12:28 says this, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. 
by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. The Father qualified us to inheritance, rescued us from darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his Son. That's what he's done. It's past tense. It's complete for us, for believers in Jesus Christ. But how did he do this? How did the Father actually rescue us? Before you say the words, before we look at verse 14, I want you just to see it with fresh eyes. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Father qualified us, rescued us, and transferred us through the Son's redemption of his blood. Through the Son's redemption, yielding the forgiveness of sins. The Father is the director of redemption. The Son is the agent of that redemption in whom we have redemption. The word in right there, epsilon, new in the original language. I take that to mean by means of. That the Father rescued us and transferred us by means of the redemption of his Son in whom we have forgiveness of sins. But how did the Son redeem us? How did he pay for us? Romans 3.23 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Okay. Let's just ask the very important and very theological question. Why did the Son of God have to die? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, we kind of take that doctrine for granted that that Jesus Christ actually died. Well, all the people in the room say, duh, okay? Of course we die. That's That's why we're here. But why? Why did, first off, why did Jesus have to die? Hebrews 9.22 says, without but there is no remission. Thank you. I got stuck on that one. Okay. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So the currency of the payment for our sin, the redemption, the purchase is the blood of the Son of God. So God the Father does not accept Bitcoin. He doesn't accept Ethereum. He doesn't accept U.S. dollars. But only the blood of an unblemished lamb could be sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. But why? Someone had to die. Going back to the Garden of Eden, right after the original sin, what happened? They sacrificed an animal. But why did someone have to die? We can't understand the love of God without understanding the justice of God. That the Father, God the Father, is a God of love, yes, but he's also a God of justice. And he is perfect. He made us perfect to walk with him and to know him and have a relationship with him. But then we ushered in sin into the world. And then the Father, because he is just, someone had to pay for the sins of the world. And because he is love also, he sent forth his son to pay for my sin in full. The Father is both just and he is love. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1.22, 
and 21, 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Look at verse 14 again. I want to point out one more word, a couple more words actually. Okay. In whom we have. Notice the pronoun we. The we is associated with us. So he's talking to Christians in, that we have Redemption. The word we have is a present active indicative verb. What did I just say? The indicative verb is the mood of certainty. That we 100% have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That it is a done deal. It's not should or that we hope we have redemption. That we for certain have redemption. The word redemption is the Greek word apalutrosin. And it means a price to be paid to set one free, to set, to release the captives of sin through the price paid by the Son so that we could stand before the Father declared innocent of our guilt through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have for certain redemption. The price of my sin is paid in full and results in the forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness there in the original language comes from two different Greek words kind of smushed together. It comes from apo, hymi, and it means from and to send. So the result of the purchase of our soul by the blood of Christ, the result is the forgiveness of sins, and the Father takes it from us and he sends it away. That's what the word forgiveness means. He takes it from and he sends it away. Echoing Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, what does it it say? So far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Father, through the Son, through the Son's redemption, forgives us our sins and makes us right before him. One scholar sums it all up. Christ's death on our behalf paid the price to redeem us. On that basis, God the Father forgave us our sin, granted us an inheritance, delivered us from the power of darkness, and made us subjects to Christ's kingdom. The question we are answering today is how did the Father rescue us, and then how do we respond? The Father qualified, rescued, transferred through the Son's payment of his blood, yielding the forgiveness of sins. Um... Let me just, let me just, let me just test the waters. I'm going to do a little survey. Okay. How many of you have ever heard this before? Well, okay, let me try this again. How many of you have ever heard about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins? Okay. Thank you. There we go. A hundred percent. When you read verses 13 and 14, what are the emotions that come to your mind? What do you see? You know, I've got to be honest. When I read verses 13 and 14, I am tempted just to kind of yawn and take a nap. 
Because there's nothing new. I mean, if you're a believer, I got all of you to raise your hands, okay? So I tricked you in there. I'm just kidding. But I got you all to raise your hands. That tells me something important. You've heard all of this before. This is not new. I get it. But it doesn't mean that we can't be thankful. What does it say at the end, at the beginning of verse 12? Joyously giving thanks to the Father. The word giving thanks right there is a participle, present active participle. It shows continuing action in the present. Joyously giving thanks to the Father at all times. When somebody gives you something nice, you know, on Christmas morning, I'm sure you've done this before. On Christmas morning, you, um, you know, I'll just tell the story. Um, my father, one Christmas morning, he, he bought me four, four different gifts, okay? And he was excited about these gifts. He knew I would love these gifts, and he knew that uh, I would just be so excited, right? Well, I opened the first one, and then I opened the second one, and I opened the third one, and then I opened the fourth one, and they're DVDs, <laughs> okay? And I was just like... Really? <laughs> so my dad is sitting over there watching me open these gifts, and he's watching my face sour, okay? Does anybody else have this experience before? That when somebody does something very nice for you, you just kind of like... <laughs> the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Imagine with me you're standing in a court of law, and you're standing before the judge, and the gavel slams, and the judge sentences you to life in prison without the possibility of parole. What is your emotion in that moment? You're hopeless. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody from the courtroom stands up, goes up to the judge, and says, I will pay for his sentence in full. And then the judge slams his gavel, unlocks the cuffs, and you are set free. In that moment, if that happened to you, would you just walk out of the courtroom? Of course not. You'd be ecstatic, right? Wait, who is this guy? Okay, yeah, sure, take my spot. Go ahead. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll get out of here. That's what I would. We'd be so overcome with joy. Because, wait a second, I am set free despite my guilt. That somebody paid the price for my sin and shame. And he set me free. The Father is the director of redemption and the Son is the agent. The Father sent His Son to pay for my sin in full, to redeem me so that my sin would be forgiven. That it would be taken from me and sent to the deepest part of the ocean, never to be recovered ever again. That through the blood of the Son, that I would be qualified, that I would share an inheritance. I would share something special with other believers in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but I'm rescued from the domain of darkness. That no longer do I have the shame of sin and death shackled to the to the enemy and the prince of the power of the air. No longer am I helpless to fight against his arrows. 
And all of a sudden, not only am I rescued, I'm set free from the chains of sin and death, but I'm transferred to a king and a kingdom that loves me. That works all things together for the good to those who love God, to those called according to his purpose. I transfer from one kingdom that is out to get me at every second to a kingdom that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those called according to his purpose. I'm transferred because my debt of sin is paid in full. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. By his stripes, we are healed. He took my place. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here's the thing. Here's the rub. This is the application this week. Just be thankful. He's talking to us. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to really established, mature believers. Like basically us in this room. Many of you have been walking with Jesus for a long period of time. Just like these people in Colossae. And he is telling them nothing new. They know this. Because they have a good pastor called Epaphras. Who's taught them all this stuff. And the application that Paul has for these Godly, mature Christians is just to be overcome with thanksgiving. That's us, friends. To be overcome with gratitude to the Father for what He has done for us. Amen? That we give thanks, present active participle. That we give thanks continually, ongoing, without end. That the good news of the gospel doesn't become old news. It doesn't become stale as bread on our counter. But it's alive. And it shapes us. And wait a second. That the Father restored me to Him. Why? Why would He do that? But to demonstrate His love. But yes, to allow me to have a relationship with Him. So wait a second. I should not only be thankful for what He has done, but I should pursue God in a relationship in return. That I should pursue Him. What does it say in Matthew 22, verse 37? You shall, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That we are created to know our God and to have a relationship with Him and to love one another, to be in relationship with other people. As somebody would say to me, it's not good for man to be alone. That we are to pursue our Father. That we are, Christ is our King. That we are His servants. That we obey Him. That he is our ruler over our life and that we serve him without end. We happily obey. But the application is quite simple today. It's just to give thanks. That's it. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, because this is often nothing new, I get it. But give thanks. Just rejoice in what you have. You know, every day this week, I try to, I try to make a point. This is what I said every day. I even put it in my phone. I put in an alert in my phone on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and today. At 9 a.m., my calendar would remind me, and all it says in that event, it says, Thank you, Father, for rescuing me. Because, friends, let's just be honest here. We get so busy with our life that we forget just wonderful things. We go to the next fire and the next fire, the next thing and the next thing, and we just totally forget what God has done for us in our lives. Can I, can I do something awkward with you guys? It's cool. We're family, brothers, sisters, adult voice. You can do things that are awkward. It's cool. Um, 
This is what I want you to do. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to repeat it after me. Is that cool? All right. Thank you, Father, for rescuing me. Thank you, Father, for rescuing me. Thank you, Father, for rescuing me. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. It's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. Let us give thanks for what he has done. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you for this morning. It was... um, Lord, just, we look at the text, and we look at what you've done for us, and it's so deep, and it's rich, and it's so compelling. It's hard for us to get our minds and hearts around. And Lord, I just pray from time to time that we would just take a step back and just thank you for what you've done for us, that you qualified, you rescued, and you transferred. Lord, I pray for those that do not know you, that don't have a relationship with you, that that do not know you personally or as Savior of their life. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind, that your Spirit would teach them the truth, would show them the reality of their sin, that they are in desperate need of being rescued from the domain of darkness. And Lord, that you would open their eyes and that they would trust in Jesus Christ as Savior of their life. And Lord, that they would follow you as King, as you are. Lord, let us be thankful for what you have done for us on the cross. Let us be thankful for the redemptive plan of the Father. And let us be thankful for the sealing and the gift of the Spirit. And may us walk according to the Spirit. I just thank you, Father, for rescuing me. For picking me up out of the cells of sin and shame underneath the prince of the power of the air and setting me free. Lord, may that not grow old in my heart. Thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their faithfulness and their devotion to you and the maturity that that they display in so many ways. I thank you for all the ways that you're working. And we lift this up in Jesus' name.